Unlock the past and safeguard your memories with ScanMyPhotos.com. Here's our special promo code, GoDigital, to get a whopping up to 50% off your photo scanning order. Don't let your cherished moments fade away. Digitize them now with precision and care. Whether it's old slides, photos, or films, bring them into the digital age and relive those precious memories. This is an affiliate promotion, meaning we may earn a commission if you take advantage of this fantastic deal. Act fast, preserve your history, and save big with Go Digital at ScanMyPhotos.com. Hi, I'm Maureen Taylor, the photo detective. I really love family photographs, all of them, from the mystery images you find in shoeboxes and albums to the pictures you snap with your digital devices. No mystery is too small. A simple question about an image can lead to new stories of your ancestors. This means you can count on me to help you identify the people in them, offer solutions for preserving and organizing them, and yes, even guide you in the various ways to gather and share picture stories with your relatives. My guest today is Danielle Cordovez, and she is with the New York Public Library. Danielle, thank you so much for being on The Photo Detective. You have a fascinating job. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Maureen. Let's talk about what it is that you do. Technically, I'm the librarian, the reference librarian for the Music and Recorded Sound Archive at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts. And my specialty is in the recorded sound realm. I have a master's degree in library and information science. And my job is really, like you said, very cool. I'm the front person for the archive. So people have reference questions. It's directed to an email address that I answer. My job is to help people find recordings. And our collection is about 85 years old. It began in 1937 with a donation of 500 discs from Columbia Records and grown since then to be about 800,000 predominantly sound recordings and some print items that all document the history of recorded sound. And we have pretty much almost every format uh, used to capture sound and some film. It includes cylinders from the 1800s, 78 recordings, vinyl, cassettes, wire recordings, lacquer discs. I know we have at least one piano roll, digital files, you name it. We have it pretty much. We also have a large collection of print material that supports recorded sound studies. So it's record company catalogs, periodicals, clippings, ephemeral items. We have some realia, which are physical objects like phonograph players that still work. And, you know, the music division also has a lot of interesting things. So, for example, my favorite thing in the music division is the, we have a, a bit of Beethoven's hair, really? a lot of his hair. Really? Yes. <laughs> yes. And other composers, but, you know, that's pretty cool. It's actually Beethoven's hair? Yes. That's I, 
come by for a tour one day. <laughs> that is a curiosity <laughs> for sure. So, and we're also the second largest sound archive in this country and one of the largest in the world. So we're pretty proud of it. I think some of the most interesting work being done today, sort of historically, is, and this, I'm a picture person, right? But I'm going to say that it's in the sound realm, which is individuals who are trying to recreate the sounds of the past. Like, what did it actually sound like? to exactly. live on my street in like 1860 or 1895 because we take sound for granted well that's part of the purpose of an archive also right so we have lots of music in our collection but we also have speeches we have field recordings right or from different time periods where you can hear like the sounds of the street like you were saying or accent tapes right where you can learn an accent or uh, just any recording from a period of time that's out of the area you're currently in. So if we listen to people speak from the 1950s, we can learn a whole lot of, you can learn a lot from that, the accent, what they were talking about. I think that the way that we speak generationally is different. Yes. So the way someone of my generation speaks and even the sound of how we say certain words and string them together is different than sort of young people. Exactly. One of my favorite recordings that we have, it's a collection, but it's a, it was a bunch of wire recordings that we transferred to cassette, in, but is of the silent screen actress, Clara Bow. Oh yeah. Who was the original It Girl? And it's Clara Bow with family and friends. And what did they do with this technology when they were able to access it? They were reciting poetry, they were doing theater. She was trying to teach a parrot how to talk. <laughs> and what did that sound like? And it's information, it's more than just the recording, it's the fact that it's a wire recording, the fact that that technology existed, and then what people did with it, like I said, and, you know, all bunch of historical information about this one person who was uh, pretty famous in her day, right? Clara Bow was very famous yeah. in her day. Yeah, she was the original it girl. Everybody yep. wanted to be Clara Bow. They cut their hair. They wore the makeup. They were Clara. And in, in my realm, it's people that are looking at their family photographs or thinking about their family history. But what we've just talked about for the last couple of minutes is I don't think we're thinking about the sounds of our ancestors. What were those sounds, how they said things, not just the music of their lives, which I find fascinating, but just the everyday things that we overlook. Now, how did you get interested in being a sound archivist librarian person? Well, I was always a library nerd <laughs> and a girlfriend of mine was working at the uh, main library on 42nd street and said there was a position open as a page. I started there and then kind of made my way up the ranks and became a librarian after how many years, about seven years of being a page and a technical assistant and having different jobs in the library. And I was working here already. I was considering branching out into a different kind of librarianship, working with youth, but they offered me a position here. I was already working here and it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating place to work, honestly. 
Is there something new every day? Every day? No, but often. So the collection is massive. There's no way any of us have heard all of the recordings or seen all of the moving image recordings that we have. But as we're digitizing more of the formats that we didn't touch because they were fragile, I'm learning a lot more about what we have. And it's very, very, the scope is very broad, again, extending beyond music. And I make it a priority to investigate newly digitized material often. (laughs) So for example, we got the Lou Reed collection and not all of the material from the collection. A lot is available on site, on demand. If you come to the library, did I mention everything that we have is available for free? Oh, really? Because we are a public library, yes. So with the Lurie collection, yeah, there's a lot of material that's available when you for walk-ins. And, but some of the stuff wasn't digitized and is now and not available in our digital collections website. And I'm seeing a lot of that and it's really amazing. And it's sometimes it's not even the stuff that's directly related to him. It's about, I find what he, or a donor, any donor, for example, we have Bobby Short's collection. That's another one that I like. What they decided to tape on te- from television, what they thought was interesting to keep that, is included in their collection because it's representing who they were, their personalities, who they were as people outside of being these uh, performers. So do ordinary people other than performers want to donate their sound archive to the library? Like suppose someone had Edison recordings of their family would I would be unusual can we have them yes <laughs> that yes we absolutely would love to have that yeah those kinds of recordings those kind, those kind of those kinds of donations are very important absolutely because of you know the historical value again letting everyone know that this format existed who the owners were were they people of means? What they decided, again, to talk about and record. That's very interesting. If someone wanted to donate 50 LPs of popular music that we could find on the internet, we might not accept it, though. Right. But if they had cassette recordings of family, that would be interesting. Yes. Right. And there's a whole field of study out now dedicated to cassette culture and mixtapes specifically that I know of. And it's very interesting. It is interesting. It's interesting to talk to you about this stuff. What formats might people find in their collections at home? Oh, I don't know. I mean, if you find, if if any of the audience members find a cylinder wax, please consider donating it to an archive that can, you know, care for it and make sure that the material is is transferred so that the sound, the audio is preserved because they're very fragile and could be very rare. I can only speak to the kind of donations we get from patrons or, or patron, what, we, what they offer us, right? Sure. So it's typically 78 LP, vinyl LPs or CDs. 
and it's lots of opera, classical music, or sometimes popular music. So I'm assuming that our patronage generally collects those. I don't know for sure what people have, but that's what we're offered. So I'm wondering about like recording, like when you could begin recording. So Edison was recording and he had that box with the big, I don't know what you want to call it, funnel or whatever. And then it moved to the phonograph at home. So you could play records, the 78s. But as far as actually recording things yourself. Well, the wire recordings from my... What is a wire recording? It's literally a recording that is, it's something that you can, a piece of wire that can capture sound. Really? Yes. And that's what Clara Bow used. So there's that. I think people were recording themselves on the Edison cylinders and other cylinder formats because, other cylinder brands rather, because it was created via dictation machine. Oh. And it wasn't necessarily meant to be a method of capturing music, not necessarily, even though that's what it became and that's how it grew. And then in World War II, I believe yeah. that there were records that you could, that the soldiers could make and then send home. Transcription discs. Transcription yes. discs. Those, uh, but also in an open, after that, open reel tapes, reel-to-reel tapes. Oh, reel-to-reel tapes. The larger ones and then uh, the cassettes following that. So in a perfect world, a family will come to me and say they have a photo collection and it'll go all the way from the daguerreotype period in the 1840s to the present. And so we get this real nice overview of the family to put into the family history. If we were to talk about a perfect family collection of recordings, we would talk about what we just talked about, Edison. We talk about 78 records, perhaps, that could have been recorded, the World War II, transcriptions, reel-to-reel tape, cassette tape. I mean, and now we have digital formats, of course. Don't forget the LP. We're not (laughs) going to forget the low. A format that is also durable, it lasts, but it has, it's had a resurgence. As as the cassette has also, which we don't recommend, but people, they're kind of these niche, people are releasing albums on cassette now and- No, uh, just no. Okay, so you understand, yes, we don't advise it, but it seems to be popular, I'm finding. (laughs) Well, you don't have the sound quality, which is why people, like we, everybody went crazy for CDs, like, oh, digital sound, and now, it's swung around the other way and LPs are what people want to listen to. Yes. The analog is very popular. Yes. But regards to, to, to cassettes, uh, is it was determined about 10 or 15 years ago that the format magnetic media, so it's cassettes, VHS tapes, also open reel tapes, that format was not durable and degrades. And we, with the help, with the um, support of the Andrew Mellon uh, grant, the library has undergone, undertaken a huge mass digitization project for all of its magnetic media and other formats that are deemed at risk or fragile. Mm. So 
cassettes don't last. <laughs> no, they don't last. They don't last. And you've They're seen those things on social last. media, right? It's like right. identify what you did with this. It's like a pencil with a cassette. Well, anybody oh, yeah. that ever used a cassette knows what you did with a pencil and a cassette. You rewound the cassette. But in your role as a librarian, like a reference librarian of sound, what are the kinds of things that people ask you? Oh, goodness. We get a lot of requests to duplicate items in the collection for different reasons. Sometimes uh, podcasters, uh, documentary filmmakers need a piece of audio for a project or someone whose parent or maybe it was a recording of them in their middle school band performing or singing and we have the only copy and they want the duplications of those recordings what else do we get office for donations how does someone search the collection we have three major catalogs we have the regular catalog where you can search all of the branch materials including some research items which is nypl.org we have the archives portal, which is dedicated to the archival collections in the research libraries, which there are four of. NYPL has the Library for the Performing Arts, which is where I work, the Schomburg Center for Black and Caribbean Research, the Stephen A. Schwartzman Building, which is the main building on 42nd Street, and the Science, Industry, and Business Library. And the archives portal is dedicated to those four research centers. And then we have the digital collections website, uh, which is digitalcollections at nypl.org, .nypl.org, where you can search for everything that's been digitized and available on this website. But unless it's in the, unless the items are in the public domain, you can't see them from home or hear them. I found that out today. Oh. <laughs> they have to write to you and then either you send a clip or you go into the library to listen. Well, we don't, well you, we don't send clips. You have to go through our copies and reproductions office for that and it, they charge a fee and you have to get rights clearance and all of that before they send you anything. Danielle, anything else you wanna share that's sort of quirky and interesting about your job that you, that you like tell your friends when they say, well, what, Danielle, what is it that you do exactly? Some cool fact. The fact that I have access to all of this amazing material so if I wanted to, I mean, I've touched recordings that are over a hundred years old. We have material here that we enjoy looking at and hearing. I get to work in one of the coolest research institutions in the world. We have world-class collections here. And I think every staff member in this building is aware of how lucky they are to be here. For a self-professed library junkie you are in the sweet spot aren't you yes <laughs> well danielle thank you so much for being on the photo detective thank you maureen it was I, fun it was a pleasure i can't wait for you guys to have more stuff on the web so i can listen oh i know i had one last question for you sure as a, a sound person i read somewhere recently that starting next year, that everything pre-1923 is going to be in the public domain. And we're excited about it. 
because it'll eliminate some of the bureaucracy that goes into showcasing these recordings. So if you wanted to use a record from 1900 on your podcast, you wouldn't have to jump through hoops to do it and you wouldn't be at risk for litigation. You could just play it. It's old enough The you know, the performers are probably still not around and there probably aren't we don't believe that there should be as many legal hoops that people have to jump through to get access or to share with people on a public platform. Yeah. The sounds of our past are as important as anything else. Very much so. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on The Photo Detective. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media, leave me a rating and a review. And if you know of a friend or family member who's also interested in family photographs, share this episode with them too. See you next time. I'm thrilled to be offering something new. Photo Investigations. These collaborative one-on-one sessions look at your family photos. You and I meet to discuss your mystery images and find out how each clue and hint might contribute to your family history. And trust me, these images can reveal so much in your research. I have decades of experience in the photo, genealogy, and history industries. This is your chance to learn from me and discover the stories in your family images. You can find out more by going to MaureenTaylor.com and clicking on Family Photo Investigations.